Hello, and thank you for joining us for Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 2 Finale, Episode 10, The Fortress, Part 1. If this is your first time listening to Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, you might want to go back and start at Season 1, Episode 1, The Egg, to get the full story. My name is Marin Langdon Spillane, and today we are thrilled to welcome back special guest artist Daniel Pertiera. This is Daniel's fourth time illustrating for Fadpack, so you should definitely make sure to check the show notes for link to Daniel's artwork and coloring pages. Before we get started, we wanted to introduce you to another really great podcast and fellow Kids Listen member, By Kids for Kids. If you're a fan of monstrous creatures... Magical genies, <laughs> tales of witches, <laughs> mischievous goblins. <laughs> Listen to Buy Kids for Kids Storytime. We bring fairy tales, folk tales, myths, and legends to life with performances by kids from all around the world Massachusetts, Germany, Iceland, India, New Mexico, and more. Just search for Buy Kids for Kids Storytime wherever you get your podcasts. One thing that I love about stories that you listen to is that everyone imagines a story a little bit differently. I know how it looks in my head, but I love to see how other people imagine things. So I encourage all of you listeners to grab your favorite supplies and draw, sculpt, paint, or create anything that you are inspired to while listening. Then you can share your creation with us during one of our live shows, post on our Facebook page, or email it to us at PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. And now let us begin Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights, Season 2, Episode 10, The Fortress, Part 1. Previously on Fad Pack, Beatrice the Dragon, her five draglings, and Tom and Talora, two humans from the city of Durga, set off on a quest to find Beatrice's stolen egg. After a long and perilous journey, the dragons learn that the egg might be held on an island fortress by the Guild of the Bone-Eyed Spider, a society of creatures that believe the egg may factor in either the salvation or the destruction of the world. Led by the fairy Carnelian, Beatrice, three of her children, Tom and Furball the Kitten, with the help of mermaids and the warrior tribe of sea cucumbers, fight off the sea dragons, known as Weladons, who guard the fortress. Tom, Carnelian, and Furball penetrate the fortress to distract the guild from Beatrice's approach. For the last few minutes, there had been no light inside of Carnelian's underwater traveling bubble, except for a dim glow emanating from the Crystal Fairy themselves. Carnelian's eyes were closed in concentration, their heads shifting in different directions as they steered the bubble through unseen passages. The mermaids had told them of underwater tunnels that led to a drainage system directly beneath the fortress of the Guild of the Bone-Eyed Spider on the island of Olean. From inside the bubble, Malvina and Kalima had directed Carnelian through the tunnel until they had finally reached an underwater cave of sorts, whose rock wall was filled with pipes of various sizes, pipes that led directly up into the fortress. "'Thank you, mermaids. You are so dear,' said Carnelian. "'I'll take it from here.' Then, the bubble seemed to squeeze itself into a pipe that it never should have fit through, and everyone gasped. Melvina and Kalima seemed to be enjoying this method of transportation immensely, though Tom had spent the journey with a terrified furball wrapped around his neck, claws extended and tail puffed out. Suddenly, the bubble filled with bright light and emerged from the water. 
Tom saw that they were sitting inside of a giant fountain in the middle of a large courtyard, surrounded by a stone building with several balconies and tall stone walls all around them. They were inside the fortress, but they were also right in the middle of everything. We have to get under cover, he said anxiously to Carnelian as he looked around them. No one was directly nearby, but he could see a crowd on top of the wall looking out to sea. If any of them turned around and looked at the fountain, they were completely exposed. Tom, Tom, you doll, no one can see us right now. Do you think I would pop up in a fountain in the middle of a potentially hostile fortress without putting some basic concealment in place? No, I would never do that to my little furball. Carnelian flew up to Tom's neck where furball was still wrapped like an electrocuted scarf and whispered soothingly into the kitten's ears. Tom felt furball relax. "'Unfortunately, this is where we must part ways with your mermaid friends, Tommy. Say goodbye, and I'll send them back to the ocean in a nice little bubble.' Tom knelt by the fountain, where Malvina and Kalima had pulled themselves up to the edge and were taking in the courtyard with interest. "'Thank you, Malvina. Thank you, Kalima. We couldn't have gotten here without you.' Tom said. Well, that's debatable, actually, Carnelian muttered. Anyway, Tom continued loudly, we really appreciate all of your help. I hope we see you again soon. Kalima grasped Tom's hands as he translated for Malvina, who stared at Tom with huge, tear-filled eyes before she spoke. (coughs) Kalima nodded. Malvina says she will miss her Tom pet, her tiny clawed fluff pet, and also that she too will miss her little fairy pet, but no one as much as her Tom pet, who she thinks is maybe her most favorite pet of all the pets, excepting for the small narwhal she rescued from bad death last year. Malvina snatched Tom in a crushing hug which he barely managed to extract himself from. I'll miss you too, Malvina! Tom gasped, rubbing his ribs. Carnelian raised their arms, and a bubble formed around the two mermaids, sucking them below the surface of the fountain and out of sight. "'I hope they can steer that thing,' Carnelian mused as they watched the surface of the fountain settle. "'It is not easy.' "'Carnelian!' Tom exclaimed. "'They're going to be okay, right?' "'Oh, little Tommy, yes, they will be fine. "'And if they aren't, I'll just run and fetch them "'out of whatever storm drain they got stuck in "'after we're done taking over the scary fortress. "'Now, let's get to work. First things first, we need to see "'how that strange, strange battle is going "'outside with the Whaladons "'and those squishy slime soldiers.' It had been agreed upon that once inside the fortress, Tom and Carnelian would find a place to watch Beatrice and her draglings approach. As soon as they had made it past the Whaladons and were flying toward the island, Tom, Carnelian, and Furball would begin phase two of the plan, which was, in sum, to create as much chaos and confusion inside the fortress as possible so that Beatrice and her draglings could approach safely. If the battle outside went poorly, Carnelian, Tom, and Furball would need to escape before being seen. "'I'll fly to the outer wall. There should be some nice stony ramparts there to watch from,' said Carnelian. "'You poke around in here, Tom-Tom, and see what you can see. We'll meet back here at, oh, five hundred. "'What?' said Tom. "'Military time, Tommy. You count to five hundred, then meet me here. Got it?' Furball will explain. Carnelian called over their shoulder before flying off, above the building that surrounded the courtyard. Okay, Furball, let's see what we can find in this place. Oh, ah, shoot, right. Ah, one, two, three. As Furball slunk across the courtyard, Tom tried to decide where to go first. It was so quiet. He had expected bustle and noise, many people and creatures moving about busily, but there was no sign of anyone besides the crowd up on the ramparts, presumably watching the Whaladons attacking the dragons. He thought he could hear voices distantly, but couldn't make out what they were saying. Before he could do anything else, however, Carnelian had returned. 
Tom Tom, what did you find? Uh, nothing. You were only gone for 20 seconds. Furball suddenly appeared with a coil of rope in his mouth. Tommy, look at Furball. He's not making excuses. Try not to disappoint me again. Anyway, good news, more good news, and bad news, Tommy, they said, landing grimly atop Furball's back. Uh, first good news first, said Tom, glancing nervously around. Hmm, interesting choice. All right, well, the first good news is that those gorgeous, sluggy slime balls out there are working their magic on the Whaladon, so we need to hurry. The other good news is that there are far fewer creatures here than I expected, and they don't look particularly battle-savvy, if you know what I mean. They are clearly not warriors of any kind, so we will have to change our plans somewhat, which I know will disappoint Furball, who was looking forward to the kill. What? exclaimed Tom, looking at Furball, who had dropped the rope at his feet like a dog waiting for him to play fetch with it. I told you, Tommy, this kitten means business. Anyway, my little whiskered harbinger of doom and destruction, we will have to abort the plan to kill everyone in sight. They aren't going to hurt us, so it wouldn't be nice if we hurt them. However, they could still get in the way of Beatrice and the others landing safely. They may not be warriors, but they do have bows, and I think I saw a cannon, though they probably don't know how to use that. So, we Hey parents Yeah, you Are you looking for a podcast your kids will really love? Well, we made one just for you And for us As genuine, all-natural kids ourselves We know what makes a fun and interesting podcast So we decided to make it ourselves Every show is packed with interviews, stories, and on-the-ground reporting We have interviewed everyone from scientists to Grammy Award-winning musicians to NFL quarterbacks. Listen to Wild Interest wherever you get your podcasts. Will. Metal. Wasn't that always the plan? Asked Tom. Shh, Tom, Tom, shush, said Carnelian, then fluttered to Tom's ear and whispered urgently. You think I told that bloodthirsty puffball the real plan? He would never have agreed. Now, stop talking and follow my lead. Carnelian returned to Furball's back and continued. Oh, yes. We fairies love to meddle. It is a much-loved pastime. We get in there, we sow seeds of chaos and confusion, and then BAM! Before you know it, where are they looking? At the approaching dragons or at the chaos all round? Um, at the chaos all round? You got it, Tommy. Let's head up to the ramparts and wait for the perfect moment to strike. Wait, Carnelian, what's the bad news? Oh, yes. That... Carnelian looked like they had just tasted an extremely sour lemon. Tommy, have you ever heard of a... a... flower fairy? No, I don't think so. Why? I told you there would be fairies here, and of course, I was right. There are ten humans, six ponies, all winged, of course, and from the cloud herd, if I'm not mistaken, and there are four... flower fairies. Are they dangerous? Flower fairies are absolute demons. There has never been a fairy quite like them. I shudder to think of being in even remote proximity to their vile presence. I will have to neutralize them, Tom. It must be me, and it must be now. Those wicked pixies will see right through our concealment, and then will be nothing but a smear of pollen on the wings of broken dreams and forgotten heroes. Oh, okay. Wow. I had no idea. Tom said nervously, as he followed Carnelian through the courtyard and up a flight of stairs leading to the ramparts, Furball trotting behind them. "'There they are,' said Carnelian in hushed tones as they reached the top of the stairs and emerged onto the ramparts. They quickly hid behind a convenient stack of barrels nearby. 
Tom squinted against the bright sunlight and could indeed see a group of people, some winged ponies and a small cluster of fairies arranged on the ramparts, all looking out to sea. He studied the fairies, who were perched delicately on the stone wall. They're... they're beautiful, he said softly. And they were. Each fairy was a delicate shade of pink, purple, yellow, or pale green. Their skin was dewy and almost translucent and seemed to glow from within. Their hair was long, wavy, and woven with tiny flowers, all of which seemed alive and thriving. Their wings looked as delicate as spider webs bathed in dewdrops, and they were clad in tiny garments made from buttery, soft flower petals. Are they really that dangerous? I never said they were dangerous. I said they were vile. Ugh! I can smell the roses from here. One of the fairies, the pink one, turned and looked almost directly at Tom, who froze. Do they see us? Carnelian snorted. No, you'd be speaking through petal lips if they had. But that was close. They can probably sense us better than the humans or the ponies can. That one especially, that pink atrocity, calls themselves the leader of the flower fairies, Wisteria, or the Petal Bright, as they call it. Oh, I really do think I might throw up a little bit. Listen, Tom. When the time is right, I'm going to take Furball and deal with the fairies. As soon as they're neutralized, I want you to do what you can to distract the rest of them, the humans and the ponies. You're a human. You know ponies. Shouldn't be too difficult. How will we know when the time is right? Asked Tom, as he tried to avoid the gaze of Wisteria the Petalbright as they stared in his direction. Carnelian glanced out to see. Look, they said, pointing a finger. Tom followed Carnelian's gaze and could just make out Beatrice, Edwin, Lyle, and Smudge with Whaladons all around them. It looks like things are going well, Carnelian observed. When we can sense that the tide has turned in favor of our friends, then we will strike. Not yet, my little one, not yet, said Carnelian, stroking Furball's ears. Tom strained his eyes to see more clearly. He couldn't make out the mermaids from this distance, but the Whaladons seemed to be thrashing chaotically, or... Maybe they were attacking one another or falling from the sky as the dragons just hovered in place. The mermaids and sea cucumbers must be playing their part well. One of the people on the ramparts, silent until now, suddenly spoke. It's the same dragon as before, isn't it, Megan? Tom turned his eyes to an elderly man standing next to a young woman. The woman nodded. Yes, it's her and her draglings. The man squinted. Could it be the mother? The woman smiled grimly. I think it could, Abner. I think it could. Tom took a moment to observe the others on the ramparts. It felt odd to be watching creatures so closely and to be invisible himself, but he took advantage to try to make sense of these people. Was this really the guild of the bone-eyed spider? Tom wasn't sure what he'd expected, but it wasn't this. The humans were a range of ages, but none of them looked like they were plotting devious baby dragon nappers. Besides the young woman, Megan, and the older man, Abner, there were another eight or so people, all of whom looked more scholarly than soldierly. Then there were the ponies, all standing still as statues, further down along the ramparts. In contrast to the rainbow ponies, these ponies were all shades of white, gray, and black, their coats modeled with patterns that looked like clouds. They were no less majestic and striking than the ponies of the grasslands, however. Their wings were folded gracefully against their bodies, and their manes and tails flowed freely in the ocean breezes. "'Now I think, Tom, look!' Carnelian gestured toward Beatrice and the draglings, and Tom could see that there were no more whaladons in sight, and that the dragons were making their way toward the fortress. There was movement on the ramparts as the people began to murmur, and the ponies stamped their hooves. 
They've made it past the Whaladons, the man Abner exclaimed. Prepare for attack! Carnelian, is this everyone? The whole guild? These are the creatures responsible for taking Beatrice's egg? Tom Tom, no questions right now. This is everyone who is currently within the fortress, yes, but beyond that I don't know. Now by, oh, 200, either the fairies will be neutralized or Furball and I will be piles of compost and you'll be on your own with everyone able to see you. Either way, your job, make some mischief. Good luck. Furball, I'm removing your concealment. Now let's go push some daisies. And with that, Furball sauntered off in the direction of the flower fairies, while Carnelian fluttered just behind, but out of sight below the eyeline of the ramparts. Tom watched, frozen in amazement, as Furball walked directly into the pack of flower fairies, mewing and rubbing on things as he passed them. Oh, sweet, dewy violet petals, exclaimed the yellow fairy. Look at this adorable little kitten. Furball started purring, then crouched down so the flower fairies could pet him, which they did, clustering around him like adoring fans. Oh, I love his little whiskers, said the green fairy. Look, Dahlia, he matches your hair. The green fairy gestured to the yellow fairy, Dahlia, who did indeed have golden orange locks very close to Furball's color. Oh my gosh, you're right, exclaimed Dahlia. Do you think he's hungry, Magnolia? Do you have any more of the rosehip tea we were sipping delicately from the soft curls of newly clipped begonia leaves this morning? Magnolia, the green fairy, frowned. Oh shucks, I think we drank it all, using our tiny fresh straws of dandelion stems. But I do have some tender, just opened buds of clover here in my tiny little bag made of violet petals. Do you think the pussycat would like those? They all turned their eyes to Furball, who began to playfully chase a fly in the direction of another set of stairs leading down off the ramparts. The fairies followed automatically. Oh, look, he's hungry, cooed Magnolia. Frisia, get him some delicate nibbles and see if we have any more of those little plates of willow leaves brushed with early morning dew. Oh my gosh, it would be my absolute pleasure, gushed Frisia, the purple fairy. Furball began playfully pouncing his way down the stairs, leading the flower fairies further away and out of sight from the other members of the guild on the ramparts. Wait, said a soft voice. Tom turned his attention to Wisteria, the petal bright of the flower fairies. They were looking oddly at Furball. Where did this kitten come from? How did it appear on an island fortress? And, most importantly, do we have enough willow leaf plates brushed in dew for it to eat from? Oh my gosh, those are good questions, Fragrant Blossom, chirped Frisia brightly. At that moment, Tom could no longer see them since they had all followed Furball down the steps and off the ramparts. He could still see Carnelian, who looked back at Tom, smiled, and mouthed something that looked like angry kitten maneuver. Then they held up three fingers, then two, then one. When the last finger fell, Carnelian dove down the steps in the direction of Furball and the fairies. Tom heard a terrible yowling coming from Furball that really could only be described as a war cry, then brief exclamations of surprise from the fairies, the some puffs of light, oh, some kind no. of tumbling uh, sound like rocks falling down the stairs. Ouch. Then oh, everything was silent. Some nearby members of the guild looked absently in the direction of the commotion, but quickly turned their gaze back out to sea, where Beatrice, Lyle, Edwin, and Smudge were getting closer every second. The guild members on the ramparts began to prepare for attack, stringing bows, counting arrows, and readying a handful of cannons. It's time, thought Tom. I need to cause some mischief, but how can I do that without being noticed? 
Despite the concealment, Tom couldn't help but sneak along, racking his brain for what kind of mischief he could create. Suddenly, he remembered a joke another stablekeeper had played on him once. When Tom had been focused on a task, the boy had crept up behind him and tied his shoelaces together. Tom hadn't noticed until he had fallen flat on his face the next time he had tried to walk. Was this a ridiculous idea? No, he decided, crouching down behind the first person in a line along the ramparts. This wasn't ridiculous. This was war. The first pair of shoes he encountered were easy to untie and retie together, and so focused were the watchers on readying their battle stations that they didn't notice. He moved carefully down the line of humans. In some cases, he was able to tie the laces of one person to the laces of the person standing next to them. Things went smoothly until he reached the last person in line, the young woman named Megan, who he'd heard speak earlier. She didn't have laces on her shoes. What was he to do? Hmm. She was wearing a sash tied around her waist like a belt that had two long ends dangling from the knot. He looked at the pony standing next to her, shrugged, and carefully took the pony's tail and tied it to the ends of the sash. He moved on to the rest of the ponies, whose tails he deftly braided, neatly incorporating one braid into the tail of the next pony until they were all linked together by their tails. Tom stopped to admire what he had done and thought briefly of how proud Edwin would be of his handiwork. What could he do next? There was no sign of Carnelian, and when he glanced out to see, he could tell that he still had at least ten minutes before Beatrice and the draglings arrived. He glanced at a tall woman standing next to Megan and saw that she had a cloth bag slung loosely over her shoulders. He peered inside and found it full of straw. Nestled in the straw were at least a dozen chicken eggs. She must have been gathering eggs when everyone was called to the ramparts. Tom smiled, slipped an egg out of her bag, aimed carefully, and threw it at a man further down the line. It hit him in the ear, cracked, and dripped slimily down onto his shoulder. He yelped in surprise. What the- he exclaimed, feeling the side of his face. Is this egg? Tom grabbed two more eggs and threw them randomly at others along the wall. Hey! Ah, gross! Then, struck by inspiration, Tom yelled, They're throwing eggs at us! He grabbed as many eggs as he could hold and ran up and down the line, throwing them or smashing them against people and ponies. The older man, Abner, yelled out, Who's attacking us? What's going on here? Without thinking, Tom yelled out again, Ghosts! The ghosts are angry! He figured, since they couldn't see him, a ghost was as good an explanation as any. One of the others on the ramparts yelled out, It's true! The eggs! They're coming from nowhere and everywhere! They were starting to panic. As they tried to run or move, they tripped on their laces, fell, and screamed, convinced now that ghosts were attacking. Tom grinned, proud of his improvised plan. Then he grabbed two more eggs and smushed them against the back of Megan's neck. She screamed and spun ah! around, which of course yanked the tail of the pony standing next to her. The pony neighed in surprise, then began flapping its wings to rise up in the air. The pony's tail pulled on the sash around Megan's waist, and she toppled over. The pony dragged her into the air upside down, bumping her along the floor as it flapped in fright, trying to detach itself from Megan. The first pony, who was attached by the tail to the others, had caused a ripple effect of tail yanking down the lines of ponies, and all six of them were stomping, snorting, and trying to take flight, but bumping and smacking into one another instead. Meanwhile, Abner and another man rushed to help Megan, but in so doing, they both tripped over their shoelaces and crashed to the ground in confusion. As they fell, Abner grabbed the woman with a bag of eggs, and the remaining eggs went flying as she too stumbled over her shoelaces and went down. The woman on her right slipped in a puddle of broken eggs, and a man nearby only made it two steps before tripping on his shoelaces, taking down both Abner and the man next to him, who had just managed to stand up again. Wow, thought Tom, looking over the writhing mass of confused humans and ponies. 
then he remembered. Carnelian! Furball! He yelled, running down the steps where he'd seen them disappear, half expecting to run right into the flower fairies before being turned into a succulent or something. Instead, he reached the bottom of the stairs and found each of the flower fairies buried to their shoulders and what looked like some kind of mud turned to stone, their faces twisted in a kind of floral rage. In front of them was Carnelian, sitting majestically atop Furball, who was licking his paws. "'I might have known it would be you, Carnelian!' hissed Wisteria. "'Yes, you might have, but you did not,' retorted Carnelian. "'I've never been so dirty in my life!' moaned Magnolia. "'All the lavender soap in Dunia will not wash the stench from me,' added Frisia piteously. "'I cannot believe any fairy would be so cruel as to cover us in mud,' added Dahlia. "'Whatever will we do, will there be enough dawn dewdrops for us to bathe in?' "'Oh, I'm not sure it's all mud,' Carnelian mused. "'There are so many ponies around, after all.' The flower fairy's eyes bulged in horror. Carnelian beamed at Tom. "'They hate nothing more than being dirty,' they explained. "'It was all Furball's idea, wasn't it, Furby?' Furball purred at Carnelian. Someone hustled past them, muttering about ghosts, and Carnelian exclaimed, "'Oh, Tom-Tom, nice work! I had no idea you would be so good at this. Well, who am I kidding? Yes, I did, you're Tom-Tom, what can't you do? Now, if only you could sing us a little song!' "'Just kidding, kidding. We don't have time for that. "'Oh, my goodness, what timing we have. Here they come. "'Quick, up to the ramparts. "'Tom, I'm removing your concealment. You can be seen now.' "'Tom looked up just in time to see Beatrice and the draglings approaching. "'He ran to the wall's edge and started calling and waving. "'They could see him. "'He ran to one side to get out of the way and turned back around "'when he heard a terrible battle yowl and saw Smudge tackle a group of ponies "'while Beatrice, Edwin, and Lyle landed on the ramparts "'amidst the mass hysteria and confusion of the people and ponies within the fortress. "'Beatrice stomped loudly, crushing the stone of the ramparts beneath her feet, "'then let forth a torrent of flame into the air.' Everyone froze and stared at Beatrice in shock and fear, including Tom, who'd never seen her look quite this way before. "'Where is my baby?' roared Beatrice, her voice reverberating through Tom's skull louder in his head than he'd ever heard it before. Hello again! If you'd like to know what happens next, please join us for Episode 10, The Fortress Part 2. If you have any comments, questions, or artwork you'd like to share, please email PetraTheDragon at gmail.com. Petra handles all of our communication for us, and she's been a little grumpy lately because she hasn't seen enough pictures of herself. If you are enjoying Fadpack, there are a few simple and fun ways to support the show. If you can leave a rating or a review on the device that you're listening from, go for it. We would love that. This is a great way to help others find the show, and it really means a lot to us and to Petra. You can also join us on Patreon or buy a ticket to one of our live Zoom shows where you'll be the first to hear the new episodes, share your drawings or thoughts about the show, and chat with other listeners. For tickets to the live show, please visit dirtroadtheater.com slash fadpack. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is a proud member of Kids Listen, a grassroots organization of advocates for high-quality audio content for kids. You can find more great podcasts at kidslisten.org or download the app. Fairies and Dragons, Ponies and Knights is made and recorded by Dirt Road Theater in Northfield, Vermont. 
Fad Pack is written and performed by me, Marin Langdon Spillane, and written and created by Dominic, Graceland, and Oliver Spillane. The music you heard was composed by the amazing Nathan Lee. You can see more of his work at nathanlee.net. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time. 